Welcome to Are You Kidding Me? A pediatric podcast for parents like you about kids like me. Let's get started. Hello and welcome back to Are You Kidding Me? A pediatric podcast for parents brought to you by Pediatrics in Brevard. And I am your host, Katie Parsons. I am here with our expert pediatrician, as always, Dr. Tara Forcier. Hi, Tara. How are you? Hey, good morning, Katie. It's great to have you on. I always love having our discussions and learning a lot in the process. And today we're going to talk about what you need to know when your kid wheezes, which I think is a interesting headline, has me intrigued. Dr. Tara, are we talking about overall breathing problems or asthma? What do you mean with this? Great question. So let's talk about what wheezing is. I definitely have patients that come in and sometimes the parents think that they are wheezing when they aren't or don't know that they're wheezing when they are. So uh, let's let's just sort of work through some of those terms. So wheezing is a high-pitched sound that happens in your airways of your lungs. And it's caused because the airway is narrowed. So think about like the high-pitched sound you might make if you breathe through a straw or something like that, as opposed to something a little larger where the airflow is better. If you are trying to breathe through narrower airways, it, it kind of makes the sound as the air is trying to squeeze through. And it's different from other types of noises that you can hear from the airway. Another thing that is common in childhood is croup. And croup is actually involving the upper airway. And so there's swelling in the upper airway that causes that to narrow. And that also makes sort of a, a squeaky kind of sound or a croupy cough, which has that like bark or seal-like sound to it. It's very characteristic. So that's a, a little bit different. And then sometimes people might just have nasal congestion that kind of can make sound that sounds like there's a narrowing of the airway. Um, and that may be different than, than the wheezing that we hear in the lungs. So those are some different places where you can have sounds coming from that aren't necessarily what we're going to be talking about today. As I said, the, the narrowing of the airway in the lungs that causes wheezing, the reason it becomes narrow is typically because of one or more of three things. There can be inflammation. There can be what we call bronchospasm, and that's where the muscles around the airways actually kind of spasm. In doing that, it kind of closes it a little bit and makes it narrower. And the other is just excess mucus production. And um, so all three of those things can be there together. Sometimes in a condition called bronchiolitis, you may have more of the mucus production and less of the bronchospasm. That is treated a little differently because of that. And the things you just mentioned, are these sort of like one-time illnesses or are these chronic problems you see in your patients? So they, it could be either. So there's definitely a number of smaller children and babies who may come in wheezing and they may have a diagnosis, like I said, of bronchi- bronchiolitis, um, like we talked about the, with the mucus production, RSV. A lot of people have heard of that virus. That one is known for causing bronchi- bronchiolitis in infants and toddlers especially because they have smaller airways to begin with. So not, it doesn't take all that much to make them close up and, and cause wheezing and, and respiratory issues. There's other kids who every time they get a cold, for example, might start wheezing. It definitely depends. There's a term called reactive airway disease that your doctor may use or say. It's fallen out of favor in some circles because it's it can be confused with other things. But 
generally speaking, when it's used by your pediatrician, it refers to recurrent wheezing of young childhood. Um, and this may progress, and eventually they may be diagnosed officially with asthma. Sometimes, though, it only happens with those you know, respiratory viruses when you're a baby, and you kind of outgrow that tendency, and so that diagnosis tends to fall away. As far as like what is actually happening at the tiny level of the airways, it's basically identical with asthma when you have the diagnosis of reactive airway disease. So like I said, usually you'll find that diagnosis in younger children, and then as they get older and becomes clear that they're gonna, it's going to be a persistent problem, then that tends to be when asthma is diagnosed. So how severe can the symptoms get, and, and how will parents know that they need to ask their pediatrician about these? Asthma is broken up into sort of like an intermittent type or persistent types and then kind of graded based on severity, mild, moderate, and severe. You know, your intermittent form of asthma is going to be, you know, those kids that just once in a while may have a wheezing episode, maybe with a cold or maybe whenever they're around a certain trigger like a like maybe they're allergic to dogs or something and that might cause them to wheeze or with exercise. So that tends to be um, not symptoms that you're having on a regular basis. Um, Once you get into the persistent types, it depends a little bit on how frequent and whether it involves um, nighttime symptoms as well. And so there's gradations for that. As far as symptoms, you know, when this happens, when you get that airway narrowing, in addition to the wheezing, Children may report that their chest feels tight. Um, typically, they're coughing. They may, may also be short of breath. Um, and babies, you can kind of tell because their their respiratory rate will increase. So it'll look like they are um, breathing harder. Um, the muscles in between their ribs might actually kind of suck in a little bit too. So it's kind of like they're like pulling. They're having to use their muscles in order to get air in and out. And so um, if you see those signs, um, then, you know, that's an indication that they're struggling to breathe and probably need to be checked. And then what can trigger uh, reactive airway disease and asthma? So, you know, I mentioned like a pet or something. There's a lot of different things. As I said, in younger children, it tends to be the respiratory infections. Almost any kind of cold virus can do it. As they get older and they, you know, if they are going to develop allergies, those allergies can also um, trigger asthma flares up. And that would include dust and mold and pet dander, weeds, grass, you know, all the usual kind of environmental allergens that we think about um, that people may have. And then there could be environmental pollutants. And I would include in there like smoke from, from cigarette smoking too those sorts of things, or maybe just poor air quality, you know, there's smog or something like that in the air. Those would be reasons why a a child may start um, wheezing. And for some exercise, cold air, there may just be other things too that can trigger it for them. Their, you know, airways just react to whatever that trigger might be. And when that happens, when it's triggered, how do you know when you should go get medical attention? If it's the first time, for sure you should go if you see any of those signs that we mentioned. You know, any the child's reporting chest tightness, shorter breath, coughing, and and hard to catch their breath. Um, or if you hear wheezing, which you don't always, sometimes it's not audible to um, another person. Uh, any of those reasons, they should be seen. 
once they have been diagnosed with one of these conditions, you'll most likely have some sort of medication treatment that you can give them. And so typically parents will start using the medications and we're going to, we'll talk about, you know, treatment options here in a few minutes, I'm sure. Usually they will start those medications and then if it worsens or doesn't improve with the medications, then they should bring their child in to be seen. Once they've done that or, or you're maybe seeing something like this for the first time or even a repeat time, how is asthma officially yeah. diagnosed and evaluated? Most often, I would say that it's diagnosed just clinically from um, you have a patient who has recurrent wheezing and and fits the the profile, either because it happens with the usual types of triggers and they respond to the medications meant for asthma. So a lot of times they don't necessarily have to have any kind of diagnostic test for that. There are some other types of evaluation that may take place. I mean, especially if they end up in the emergency department, they might get a chest x-ray or something, and that may show signs that are consistent with an asthma exacerbation. A lot of times, if we're not certain of the triggers, allergy testing may be done, especially in the more severe, you know, moderate or severe persistent asthma situations allergy testing will probably be done because maybe there are some treatments for the allergies that can reduce their their asthma symptoms so that they aren't triggered as often. And then there's something, typically if you are under the care of a physician for asthma, they will probably do something called spirometry or even just using a peak flow meter. But spirometry is a test that looks at your lung function. So you would breathe into a machine and it would you know, give you give some measurements related to how quickly you can breathe out and your lung volumes and things like that, that help to kind of understand a little bit better about what's happening in the lungs. And then there's something else called the FENO test, which is fractional exhaled nitric oxide can be used um, because the nitric oxide that is exhaled from your lungs comes typically from inflammation. So if you have inflamed lungs, then that's going to come out and they'll be able to measure that. So if that's really high, that kind of helps to confirm diagnosis or perhaps to help manage it. You know, once that diagnosis is made, knowing the result of that test may help them to know how well controlled the asthma might be. So that's another test that is commonly done, usually with the specialist, like a pulmonologist. So it sounds like there's a lot of great options to sort of get to the bottom of it. And as you mentioned, determine the severity and level of the asthma. And once you've gotten to that point, what do treatment options look like? I know most of us, when we think of asthma, if we haven't had firsthand experience, we just think of like the kid in the movie that stops and uses his inhaler, you know, when they're trying (laughs) to run through the woods or run from a bad guy or something. But I'm sure obviously there's more nuance to it. And, um, you know, medication and treatments have probably improved even since I was a kid. So what does that look like today for families? Absolutely. So typically that inhaler that they're running around with is is albuterol. And that is considered a rescue medication because it immediately relaxes those spasming smooth muscles around the airways that we talked about. And so helps to relax that and open the airways up immediately. So that is sort of your going to be your mainstay of urgent treatment um, when you have an exacerbation. Pretty much anybody with a diagnosis of asthma will have a 
anubutyrol inhaler, or maybe it comes in, especially with the younger children, may have it through a nebulizer, which is just a machine, and they kind of wear a mask, and it's just a, basically a different device for delivering it. So it could come either way, but that, but albuterol is called a, a short-acting beta agonist. So like I said, what it does is it relaxes that smooth muscle. So that is um, typically given. And then it may be all that's needed if you have a really mild intermittent case of, of asthma. And so especially, you know, kids like you were describing who maybe only happens with extreme exercise or something like that, that may be all they need it for. And that's, and that's it. For those who have more persistent forms of asthma, most commonly they're going to be on some sort of what we call controller medication, which is a medication that's intended to, most often it's daily, but it can be done in in sort of pulses during times when they have flares too. Sometimes it's used that way. But it's meant to help with the other aspects of what's going on there, um, specifically the inflammation usually. Um, the most common one would be like an inhaled corticosteroid, um, and there's a whole lot of those. So in the old days, before we had the inhaled steroids, we only had oral steroids. And so those for kids who had asthma might be on those repeatedly. And so there were a lot of side effects because of the systemic um, nature of the steroids on their body. It was a huge breakthrough to have inhaled steroids where the majority of the action is directly on their airways. And so you're able to get that inflammation down and use those with a lot more frequency. Um, we do know that there is some absorption into the body with the steroids and especially at higher doses. So even with with that, we still try to use the lowest amount of, you know, the lowest dose possible to control their symptoms. Um, so to avoid some of those um, long-term side effects, specifically growth is probably the biggest one um, that you get from long-term chronic use of a very potent steroids. So there's that one. And then there's another category, which is the leukotriene modifiers. This is, if you've heard of monoleucist, that is um, one example that is commonly used in children. Again, that targets some of the interleukins that are involved in inflammation and in the airways um, when you have an asthma attack. And then there are um, uh, some other things that probably won't see unless you're seeing a specialist, um, like a allergist or a pulmonologist that's treating you, and that would be like long-acting beta agonists. We talked about the short-acting one, which is albuterol, but there are some that are meant to last longer and a lot of times they are put into, there are um, medications where there's a combination of both a steroid and the long-acting one. And so that the combination of those two medicines together might be needed to control a more severe form of asthma. And then there's long-acting what they call muscarinic antagonists too. So again, those are those two categories I would say probably won't need unless you're seeing a pulmonologist and have um, one of the more persistent forms of asthma. So those are, in, you know, and a lot of times there'd be combinations of those different things too. So some kids may actually be on more than one type of controller medication. Well, Dr. Tara, you mentioned allergies earlier in this conversation. So can treating allergy symptoms help with asthma and flare-ups? Absolutely. So we do know that if the allergy symptoms are under better control, then the asthma is going to be under better control too. If you think about it, your airway really is all 
you know, we talk about upper airway and lower airway, but really they're all connected. So it is, you know, treatment of those allergies, even, you know, when you notice the upper airway feels better, maybe you're not sneezing and sniffling and, and runny nose, um, you know that there's going to be less inflammation throughout the whole airway. Common allergy medications would be like antihistamines. There's a bunch of those. Benadryl is probably the one most people <laughs> know about. We actually don't use that in this situation very often because it only lasts several hours and it's also very sedating. That one is we use more for like, like allergic reactions, like, you know, in an immediate sort of thing. But if you're needing to be on an antihistamine to treat sort of chronic allergies, we use one of those other non-sedating antihistamines. You can, and just in the same way that you can have um, the inhaled steroids for your lungs, they also have nasal steroids for your upper airway. So that would be those nasal sprays that have steroids in them. And um, a lot of those are over the counter now too. Those will help also decrease inflammation and um, symptoms. And the leukotriene modifiers that I mentioned earlier, you know, with monoleucus as an example, those actually help with allergies too. So again, the airway is all one big long um, pathway. <laughs> and so the same biological thing that happens that cause inflammation in the lungs is doing the same thing in the upper airway too. So the, those medications actually help with allergies as well as asthma. And then, like we were saying before, when we were talking about different types of um, evaluation strategies, the allergy testing can be helpful because not only does it help you to identify and possibly avoid, you know, certain triggers, but there are treatments now for allergies. And so there's immunotherapy where you're basically exposed to small amounts of an allergy Uh, or a trigger, an allergen, over time to help reduce your body's response to that. That is something that can be used, especially if you have some very specific triggers that are causing a lot of symptoms and a lot of problems in your life. When it comes to allergies, if you do know specific ones, you know, you may be able to avoid triggers like If you know you're allergic to cats, maybe you shouldn't get a cat. (laughs) I know that's hard to tell your little child who wants one really badly or you already have it and you realize they're allergic. So sometimes you have to do a little bit, you know, maybe keep them out, keep the pet out of the child's room or make sure the child knows to wash their hands immediately after touching the pet. Don't put it up in their face. You know, there's some things you can do if you if you um, have a pet that you know your child is allergic to. Maybe if you know, don't go out of your way to get one. Um, <laughs> so, uh, and dust, you can, there are things you can do about dust exposure. Uh, probably the most common thing is just to make sure you are cleaning your house regularly. And another thing you can do to mitigate dust exposure would be to make sure your children don't have a lot of stuffed animals in their bed. Um, which can collect dust if they need to maybe have just one and that you periodically will wash in hot water through the washing machine. There's actually allergen covers for pillows and mattresses, so those would be recommended as well. Well, and carpet collects dust, so if possible, it's good to have floors be wood, laminate, tile, or other non-carpet flooring types. Actually, just being inside with an air conditioner can help because then if you you know if your child has allergies to outside allergens like pollen and stuff if you if all the windows are closed and the air conditioning's on they're less likely to be exposed in that situation if cold weather triggers their asthma then they can wear you know 
like a, a face covering of some sort when they go outside in the in very cold weather. Um, and then, you know, using a dehumidifier can be helpful too. So there's a lot of different um, strategies depending on what your trigger, your child's triggers might be um, that you can do just to help avoid those. So what happens in the moment if your child is having an asthma attack and obviously really struggling with it? So if you know that they have asthma, immediately give them their short-acting beta agonist, their albuterol. So that would be an inhaler or through the nebulizer. So you want to do that immediately. If they don't get sufficient relief from that, then that's when you would see your um, doctor most likely. And they may prescribe something like an oral corticosteroid. And we talked about how, you know, that has systemic side effects if it's used you know, repeatedly over time, but sometimes it is the fastest thing to really to ease that exacerbation. So if a child, if their um, oxygen is dropping because they're not getting enough oxygen into their lungs, if they're in what we call respiratory distress where they're breathing really hard, sometimes that is the best um, treatment. You know, within a few hours, they tend to get relief. Um, so that may be prescribed. And then there are sometimes when, um, when there are certain types of um, what we call anticholinergic medicines like ipratropium that might be used too in certain situations. Um, there's even um, a, a combination that's got both your albuterol and the ipratropium together. And sometimes that's given in the office or in the ER. So there are medications that can be given in that moment. You know, if you give your child albuterol and you're not seeing the response that you're looking for, then go get help. Is there anything else people can do to sort of manage the asthma and and lower the chances that you'll need those rescue medications? Absolutely. So uh, first of all, if the child is older, you know, they shouldn't smoke. (laughs) If um, if they're younger, then nobody around them should smoke. Um, And that's hard because, you know, nicotine is very addicting and we know that people um, do smoke. And, um, but if your child, you know, is, has asthma, the best thing you could do would be to quit. And if you can't do that, then you smoke outside, honestly, because even if let's say they are, you know, only in your house, maybe they go back and forth between two parents' houses or something like that. Even if you smoke when they're not there, that lingers like there, you can't, you can't get that out of your house. Same thing with your car. So you can't smoke in those indoor spaces and expect them to be um, able to breathe well um, if that is a trigger for them. So it's really best to to smoke outside if you um, have a child that, that has asthma. And then the other thing I would say is maintaining a healthy weight. Um, so we do know that, you know, obesity increases um, asthma exacerbations too. So just being you know, and ha- having an active lifestyle and, um, and maintaining a healthy weight um, can, can be protective. Um, sometimes, and this is true in, in young childhood and throughout, sometimes patients who have like gastric reflux, heartburn type symptoms, that can actually exacerbate asthma too. So if that is a contributing factor, then treating that may help as well. So we've discussed, you know, symptoms, treatment, what to do in an emergency situation, and also just what we can do about lifestyle factors. 
So let's just put this all together for the families that are listening, for the parents. What can they expect with asthma care and what are your recommended best practices for that? If you have asthma and um, it is either intermittent or mild persistent, most likely your pediatrician or family physician can can manage that well. You should be seeing them at least twice a year, so at least every six months. Sometimes it may be every three months. It just depends on what's going on. And making sure that they are managing and following that um, closely to tweak the medicines if needed, tweak the treatments, help you um, uh, stay compliant with what needs to happen. They may give you something called an asthma action plan, which is basically just a written uh, summary of what to do under certain circumstances, you know, like what the, what you should do daily, what you should do for an exacerbation, when to call 911, you know, those kinds of things. So you may receive something along that line. If you have a more severe form of asthma, then um, there's a good chance you may be referred to a pulmonologist or an allergist or both to you know, give some more insight to do further evaluation and, and possibly to, um, to kind of try some of the other treatments for more severe asthma. And then as, and you should know, make sure you know what to do in an emergency um, and what is an emergency. Sometimes things can wait. I know in the middle of the night, parents might panic, you know, have your medicines, watch your child closely and if you can get them to see their pediatrician, if they're, you know, they're not in distress, um, but maybe just uncomfortable, they may be able to wait that long. Um, you know, at our practice, we have a triage nurse um, overnight, too. So there's always somebody um, with us that you can call to get some, um, some help if you need to know whether you should go to the ER or urgent care or, or um, be seen in the morning. Said, so just make sure you you know don't don't uh, run out of your medications. <laughs> make sure there you always have some to give in, in that moment. The last thing I just to mention is just you know the goals of treatment and and asthma should be to have a fun you know to be as functional and to have as good a lifestyle as anybody without asthma. So you know we we don't want your kids to not play sports or not you know get to go and do things. You know, we want them to be treated well enough that that their asthma is under control and they can do all those normal childhood things. And and we're balancing that, of course, with, you know, minimizing drug side effects. And um, so, you know, we're going to always be trying to adjust to have the least amount of steroids and the best combination of medications to make your kid as healthy as possible. That's great. Yeah, I love what you said about enjoying all those childhood things, just like everyone else. And it sounds like with a combination of what we've talked about today, the mostly the lifestyle things, that that's, that's more than possible. Well, thank you, Dr. Tara, for all this information. I think we've learned a lot today on asthma and respiratory conditions in general. And thank you for listening to Are You Kidding Me?, a pediatric podcast for parents. Thanks again to Pediatrics in Brevard for bringing us this episode and all the informational episodes this season as well as season one. If this is your first time listening, uh, take a look back. We've got a lot of information for parents and families uh, about a lot of topics that I'm sure you're going to love to listen to and learn from. Thanks again for listening and uh, thanks again, Dr. Tara. This was great. Thank you, Katie. Love to be here. And we'll see you on the next episode. You've been listening to Are You Kidding Me? 
a pediatric podcast for parents like you. Hear you next time.